came to worship the Lord this morning, and uh, we're going to start, uh, we're going to do something just a little bit different as we start here today, uh, because I want to be able to say thank you. Uh, we are, uh, we, we, we just, we're, we're, we're I, I love our church, and we have some awesome servants in our church. In fact, I had someone, uh, Mr. Clay, who came and got me like coffee this morning, went and got Starbucks, and I told him his reward will be great in heaven for that, and just love Love that we have such incredible servants. We have someone who is right now, as we speak, down at Kuttner Park, grilling up some burgers and dogs so that we can celebrate today. Today's a fun day. We're, we're kind of calling this Volunteer Appreciation Sunday because you have to know we have a lot of volunteers around here to make this happen. We want, we want you all to be disciples. We want you to be disciples who worship Christ, and, and, and we do that when we gather together on Sunday mornings. And we also want you to be disciples who walk with Christ. And we do that in community when we gather together in small groups. But we also want to move you along till you are a disciple who works for Christ in active serving. And it takes all of us uh, to make uh, church happen around here. Uh, one of the reasons is because we're a growing church. And I, like, I, I, that's not lost on me, and that's a special privilege. That, that, God's doing that. Praise God that he is doing that. And we're also what we call a, a church in the box. Uh, so we have no facility, and uh, so we, we have all our stuff in a trailer, and, and, and that just comes with certain challenges, and it makes it a little bit harder for us to uh, set everything up and, and, and kind of orchestrate all the events that happen. But, but church is not just an event, it's people, and there is so much work that needs to be done in order to make disciples. And I am, I'm just aware that many of you uh, give so sacrificially of your time, of your talent, and of your treasure to help build the church. See, here's, here's, here's what I've discovered. God is building his church just like he said he would. He promised he would do that. And he's using you. And so from the bottom of my heart, as your pastor as a brother in Christ, can I just say thank you? Thank you for all the hours and the work that you have put in uh, to helping us and serving so faithfully. Um, we have, just so you know, um, we have probably about 75% of the adults that are regularly coming to Harvest serving in at least one ministry area. And I realize some of you are chuckling because you serve in like multiple capacities. I get that. So thankful for that. Uh, but we have a lot of ministries. We're not going to have anybody stand. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody here this morning. But just so you know, all the things that, that are taking place around here, we have people that are serving in our worship and arts ministry led by Mr. Ben Garcia. We have people serving in Harvest Kids ministry led by Mr. Chris Murphy. We have people serving in the setup team uh, led by Will Johnson. We have people serving on the welcome team led by Mr. Ryan Shaughnessy. We have people serving on our prayer team, led by Miss Lilia Oberman. We have people on our Go Beyond team. That's our local ministry outreach. That's led by Eli and Grace Olmstead. People serving on our finance team, led by Miss Christy Rumbaugh. And we have people in uh, serving in our as our small group leaders. And we have a small group coach, 
her husband, Mr. Matt Rumbaugh, who's also becoming an elder around here. And we also have a chairman of the elder board, Mr. Scott Mucko. Here's the deal. I realize that so many of you are serving in, in, in one, at least one of those ministries, probably multiple, multiple ministry capacities. And I am just so incredibly thankful that you are doing it. And so would you just join me? Nobody's standing, and I realize you're serving in all of these, but would you just join me in uh, giving our volunteers a hand and saying thank you for your service? Thank you. Thank you for your service. Amen. Thank you. Uh, uh, here's the deal. I wish that we could really say thank I mean, like, really say thank you uh, to all our volunteers. Uh, wouldn't it be cool if we could, like, send everybody on a cruise? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, I thought that would be – I checked. It's not in the budget. Um, not able to do that. So, but we decided we wanted to make this a little bit fun. And so uh, we're going to give just a couple of awards, okay? I, I talked to a few of our ministry leaders, and I just asked them uh, to make a recommendation for somebody uh, that they would like to give an award to that doesn't normally get recognized for their faithful ministry. And, and, so I, they, and, and some of these people, they don't even know that this is coming. Uh, it's not really a big thing. I mean, it is a, uh, a, a Chick-fil-A gift card. Just got real. Here's the deal. I, I know you can't spend it today, but guess what? We've got a, we've got a cookout for you, so no worries. Uh, but we have just a couple of awards that we want to give. And so the first one is going to go to Miss Bogie Ballore. Miss Bogie, I'm going to give this to you. I am calling this. I am calling this the Bouncing Baby Award. Okay, this is coming from Harvest Kids because she has for so long been bouncing babies on her knee back in the nursery so that many of you could come in here and worship Jesus and hear from God's Word. So would you give Miss Bogey a hand? Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your ministry. And then uh, come on down, Lauren. Lauren, Miss Lauren Witherspoon. This is, I'm calling this one, there she is. I'm calling this the Early Riser Award, okay? So here's the deal. Many of you may remember uh, that, that back in the fall, we were like in desperate need of some people to help drive the trailer, and I was expecting a whole bunch of dudes to line up like, yeah, I'll drive the truck. Guess who showed up first? And she's so dedicated and, and determined. She normally, what was it, 5.30 this morning? She was up at 5.30 this morning just to make sure that that trailer was out here on time. That's why I'm calling it the Early Riser Award. But I also wanted to just tack this on because uh, she drives a motorcycle. And so because she drives her motorcycle, that ensures that our church has a biker ministry, which I think is pretty cool. So would you all give a round of applause for Miss Lauren. Thank you for your service. So thankful for that. And last but not least, Miss Michelle Kim. Miss Michelle she didn't even realize this was happening. So this is from the welcome team. I, and, and I get it. Like all three of these, and it just happens to be ladies, but all three of you are like serving in all sorts of areas. Uh, but I'm calling this the utility player award. Uh, because on the welcome team, she has, we huddle up in the morning. She's led the huddle. She has served as a usher, as a greeter, as a money counter. Uh, like, is there anything she doesn't do on the welcome team, Ryan? I'm pretty sure she does it all. And uh, many of you don't even realize this, but she goes and picks up and makes sure that we have bulletins here every week. And to the best of my knowledge, I am told that she has yet to give anybody a paper cut while she is doing it. So would you join me in giving a round of applause to Miss Michelle? Thank you. Thank you. Listen, uh, I wish I, honestly, I wish I could give you all awards. You all deserve it. And, and uh, like I said, we would not be here if it wasn't for you. We're so thankful for your service. Uh, so uh, let, me, let me just pray 
And uh, let's, let, let us, as we're getting into God's Word and talking about serving, let's just go to the Lord as we start here. Father, I thank you so much for your Word. Thank you so much for these servants. Uh, it is humbling to serve with them. And Lord, what a, what a joy it is to be a part of a church that is willing to roll up their sleeves and do the hard work because we, we recognize what we're doing. This is for you. And uh, Lord, you're building your church. That's the promise that you said you would do, but you're doing it through us. What a, what a, what a privilege that we get to be a part of that. And so I pray that you would bless us even today as we kind of celebrate our volunteers. We're so thankful for them. God, would you teach us how we can serve in a way that is honoring to you and you get the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you take your Bibles and go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, you'll notice if you don't have a Bible, our wonderful ushers who serve so well are coming around. Uh, They would love to give you a Bible. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. We're going to be here in Ephesians chapter 6 talking about uh, serving. So in Ephesians chapter 6, why don't, we, uh, why don't you just read along with me? Uh, you'll find it, I'm, I'm starting right here in verse 5. Are you there? Are you there? Alright, follow along with me as I read. Paul says this, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So we are looking into the mirror of God's Word in Ephesians and seeing who we are in Christ and who we are determines now how we live. And so we're just going to continue to look at our relationships in the homes and the church and see really what we're seeing is how Jesus transforms our relationships. But first I want you to notice who he's talking to here. Look at verse 5. He says, bond servants. Verse 9, he says, uh, masters. Now both of those words are in, uh, we call it the vocative case. It means direct address. A- and he's already done this. Back in chapter 5, he said, hey, hey, wives. That's like getting your attention. Hey, wives. Hey, husbands. Chapter 6, verse 1, he said, hey, children. Now he's saying, hey, bond servants. Do we have any bond servants in the house this morning? I see that hand. No, I know like most of you are like, what in the world is a bondservant? Like, what are we talking about here? Okay, so some of you, in, in, in your text, you may have the word, uh, instead of bondservants, you may have the word servants. You see that? And, and so maybe you, w- when you hear the word servant, you think of uh, something like this guy. This would be, uh, do we have him up there? Maybe. This would be uh, uh, Alfred. Batman's butler, does that come to mind? Something, something along those lines. Or maybe you're slightly more cultured, and, and so you, you would think of, of this guy here, uh, Mr. Carson from Downton Abbey, right? Maybe that's the image that you have in mind when it's, when, when it's coming. But uh, some of you, how many of you, if you're looking down at your text there, verse 5, how many of you have the word slaves? How many of you have that? Okay, that starts to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Like, what, what is Paul talking about? Okay, let me give you some context here. The institution of slavery was a first century cultural reality. It just was. 
okay? Slavery, in fact, was so common and widespread and important to that culture that it just kind of made sense for Paul to turn his attention to those relationships, first dealing with, uh, like, wives and then uh, husbands and then uh, children and then fathers. Now it would just have been natural for him to turn because there, there, there would have been a lot of this in the homes. So he turns to uh, the slaves or servants and the masters, but that's the context. Now let me give you a caveat lest we start thinking uh, so, some, some wrong ideas and, and, and imposing those on the text here, okay? Not exactly the same thing that comes into our minds when we think slavery because of our nation's history. Not the same thing. Okay, uh, Tim Keller has said it this way, slavery in the Greco-Roman world was not the same as the new world institution that developed in the wake of the African slave trade. Slavery in Paul's time was not race-based and was seldom lifelong. It was more like what we would call indentured servitude. Okay, so you just have to understand, like, there's a lot of different forms of slavery in the first, it exists, it's all over the place, but there's a lot of different kinds of slaves. Some of them may be civil servants. Uh, You may be a slave because you were a prisoner of war. You might be a slave because you were just working off a debt, because there was really no such thing as filing for bankruptcy. And so if you got into financial trouble, maybe you were just kind of working that off, and and you weren't free to market your skills to anybody else, because you were uh, in indentured servitude in this. And and, and we also got to remember that there are a lot of times where that that kind of slavery-servant-master relationship was just kind of short-lived. Okay, it wasn't Once a slave, always a slave. It's not just a lifelong thing. In fact, even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament kind of expected that there was some slavery, but they expected all of those slaves to be released every seven years. So it's not exactly the same thing. Uh, And I know that we kind of look at slavery, we're like, well, that's a major problem in the world. That's not really how they thought of it. In fact, one author would say it this way, the institution of slavery was a fact of Mediterranean economic life so completely accepted as a part of the labor structure of that time that one cannot correctly speak of the slave problem in antiquity. You just have to know that slavery wasn't all bad like we think about in our nation's history. However, that's not to say that it was all good either. Okay? There was still abuse and brutality, and so I think the question is still legitimate. How come the Bible doesn't just come out and condemn slavery? Why doesn't the Bible, like, does that bother anybody? Honestly, this is kind of a major objection for unbelievers looking at Christianity. How, why doesn't Paul, con, is he condoning slavery here? Or, or is he just like afraid to condemn it because he fears the cultural and political backlash? Like, that doesn't really sound like Paul, but, but uh, like, how, how could you be a Christian if your religion won't come out and, and, and stand against the evils of slavery? And why would you be a Bible church? if it seems like our, our culture has a better sense of morality than the Bible does. This is like legitimate questions that we have to answer here, and I think you're actually going to see the answer pretty clearly. And in fact, uh, I think what you're going to see is instead of attacking the social institution of slavery outright, kind of like storming uh, uh, the, the fortress, the walls of a fortress, Paul is actually planting the seed of the gospel on the inside of the institution and he's expecting it to grow and expand to the point where the walls of the institution can't contain it anymore and they burst with the downfall of slavery. 
you got to know this. The Bible does not condone slavery. The gospel guts it from the inside out so it can't live. We're going to talk about that more uh, in, in a bit. But let me just bring us back to then, like, how are we supposed to apply this? How, how are we supposed to? Because we, we, we don't have these kind of relationships now in, in, in our culture. We, we don't think of it in terms of like bond servants and masters. And so how are we supposed to apply this when we come up to this text? Well, here's, 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 a, here's a clue. Paul points out here a radical, a radically different motivation for serving that's going to transform how you serve. Whether it's at work, or in the church, or even in your home. And, and while we're not exactly like substituting the words uh, bond servants and masters with employees and employers, I don't think uh, it is inappropriate for us to apply these principles of serving in our own context. And so let me, let me just do this. Let me give you this big idea if you're taking notes. Because Jesus changes our motivation... Because Jesus changes our motivation, our world will notice that we serve differently. They're going to notice that we serve differently. Because Jesus changes a couple things. Here's one. Note this. Jesus changes who we serve. Jesus changes who we serve. Uh, verse 5, you see it there. He says, um, as you would Christ. Verse 6, he says, as bondservants of Christ. Verse 7 says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So let's just like get this out on the table. First thing, who are we really serving here? Who are we really serving? We're serving Christ. You know that? And assume we're like, well, well that, that, that kind of sounds like the, uh, the fine print of Christianity. Man, all I wanted was my fire insurance, okay? I just wanted to get out of hell free. I don't want to have... What do you mean I have to serve Christ? That's, that doesn't, I didn't want the, the, the strings attached to the gospel. No, no, no. This is the gospel. Jesus is Lord. He's the one who made you. He's the only one who could save you. And because He saved you, you can now see that we are designed to function best in submission and service to Him. And you've got to know, we all, no, no, no matter if you're an unbeliever or a believer, we're all under authority at some level, right? You all have a, a boss or a, a commander, or a manager, or a, a team leader. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's for a project, maybe even for like a volunteer uh, project that you're on, or maybe even uh, on a servant team, ministry team here at the church. We're all under authority at some level. And I know that the people that you're answering to, the authority, that might change at some point. But for those of us who are believers, the one whom we are ultimately serving now will never change again. Because we're serving Christ. So, let me ask you, when you're, when you're at work, or when you're serving, I, I, do you have this in mind? Like, I'm not, just doing this, I'm not just doing this for my manager. I'm not just doing this for my client or for my customer. I'm not even just doing this for my church community or, or my community at large. I, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I'm serving you. And Paul says, verse 5, bond servants obey. That's the same word that he used and uh, commanded for children in verse 1 there. The word, remember we looked at this last week, is hupakuo. Uh, the, the word hupo means under, 
Akuo means to hear kind of like acoustic, right? So, so it means you're hearing under. You are listening and responding under in submission. And that just does not come naturally to us, okay? Like, I don't want to listen to anybody. Like, I want to serve me. I'm looking out for my interests. That's what comes naturally to me. And so if I don't really like the way things are going, if I don't like the authority that's over me, if I don't like my manager, if the work gets too hard, if it's going to require too much sacrifice from me, man, I'm out of here. I ain't listening to this. I don't want to do that. But what the gospel does, it helps me to submit and serve because it points me to the one who served my needs, the one who submitted to the Father, the one who took my sin on himself and he went to the cross in my place. He died and he didn't deserve it. In fact, he was the one who deserved to be served. But he told us in Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's my Lord. That's my Master. And so I can serve you because I'm really serving him. The gospel changes who I'm serving. But watch how else the gospel transforms these relationships. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, he says, uh, Masters do the same. We, we, We didn't expect that one. Masters do the same because he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Note this, note this. Same master. Same master. Whether you're the leader or whether you're the servant, we have the same master. No matter if you are under someone in authority or over someone because you are the, the authority in Christ, we have the same master. Do you know that? And so this is kind of a warning for those of us who are uh, in authority, who are leaders. You just got to know this. You are not the ultimate authority. Do you know that? Like, I, I think about this when, when sometimes when my kids, we'll, we'll give them an assignment. We'll tell them like, hey, hey guys, uh, go get your shoes on. It's time to go outside. And, and inevitably, one of them decides that they're going to take the lead and, and they're going to start getting kind of bossy and domineering with another one. I, I, I realize that's like really hard to believe that that would ever happen. Don't you spank your kids? Didn't we think about that last week? Like, I realize uh, that that shouldn't be happening, but it does. One of my kids decides they're going to start bossing the other one. And, and so Carissa and I kind of have to step in. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You are not the mom. You are not the dad. Hey, leaders, this is kind of like God's saying to you, hey, you are not me. He's the authority, right? Like, even if you are a master, I have a master. And we're both serving him. And notice something about this master. Look what he says there at the very end of verse 9. There is no partiality. Now, this is going to start to rip the heart out of the institution of slavery. Because slavery is not just about different roles that you're playing in society. Slavery is about different values. It viewed slaves as as lower, as, as less valuable, as someone else's property. They're not equal. And that attitude looks at two different people and it judges them based on their rank or their position or their uh, circumstances, and it prefers their, the, the people who are rich and powerful and popular or people who fit into a certain mold. God does not do that. 
That's not the gospel. That's not our master. Praise God. He doesn't look and say, man, you're so much better than that guy. Or you're way more valuable than him. You, you are way more important. God does not do that. And if God does not do that, then how could we look at anybody as though we are better or more valuable than them, no matter what it is that they do, no matter who they are, no matter what they have, not even to mention the abominable stupidity of thinking that race plays any part in judging value. It doesn't have any place in the gospel. Oh, and, and don't think that just because we've abolished slavery in our culture that we're somehow immune to this attitude of superiority and, and partiality. I think that's why Paul didn't come out and just attack the institution of slavery outright. He was going for the heart. You have to know, if you do not understand that He is Lord of all, that He's the Master, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, then you're going to have a hard time serving anybody. And... You're no better than anyone else. It doesn't matter if you have a, a higher position. You have a higher salary. You have a higher level of clearance. You may even have a higher level of maturity. A higher amount of friends. But we have the same master. And Jesus changes who we serve. So same master, and then note this also, same standard. We have the same standard because he says to them, verse 9, masters do the same to them. You are to treat them, those who are under you, with the same dignity, dignity and recognize your equality before God. That's why he says, stop your threatening. Why are you treating them like that? Do you understand what the, uh, just remember, this is all coming out uh, of chapter 5 when he said that we would be filled with the Spirit. Remember that? And if we're filled with the Spirit, we will be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so this is just the outworking of that. He's saying to you, remember, even if you're a master, if you're an employer, if you're a, a leader, a team leader, if you have any authority in any way, you have a master in heaven and you're serving him. And, and Paul knows that the gospel is going to change who we serve and transform our, the relationships that we have with other people in the church. Paul intended this all along. In fact, there was a book of the Bible that addresses this very issue. It's the book of Philemon. Probably haven't spent a whole lot of time in Philemon. I get that. This comes right after Titus, uh, right before Hebrews. It's only one chapter. Small little letter. Paul wrote the letter to a man named Philemon, and he was urging him to be reconciled to another man whose name was Onesimus. Onesimus used to be Philemon's slave. And apparently somehow had wronged him. And Paul was sending Onesimus back to Philemon, but he sends him with this little letter. And, and, and he's not doing this because he wants him to be a slave. In fact, you can see this, verse 15 and 16, Philemon, he says, for, for this is why perhaps he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him, that's Onesimus, you might have him back forever. Listen, listen. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? We have the same master. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul's not condoning slavery. He knows that the gospel will destroy it from the inside out. And in Philippians 2, we've, we've looked at this so many times. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Why, why are you doing this out of your own? You're just trying to serve yourself. Don't do that. Instead, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Man, that I would look and I would say, 
You are better than me. You are more important. I'm going to put your needs before my own. And so the gospel is asking you, are you willing, are you willing to put yourself under someone that you might otherwise think you're better than? What, what if you have to work for or serve under a leader who isn't easy for you to follow? What if that person doesn't know as much as you? What if that person doesn't have as much experience as you? What if uh, that person doesn't dress as nicely as you? They're clearly not as widely liked and accepted as you. What if that person has even wronged you and hurt you? Are you sizing people up and comparing yourself to them, or are you downsizing your own significance with a willingness to come under and to submit and to serve? Do I serve because we have the same master? I just wonder what it would look like for unbelievers to walk into harvest and see people serving one another with no regard for the stipulations and prejudices that we normally expect. What if they saw us serving like that? Jesus changes who we serve. We're serving Him. Because we're serving Him, we can, we can serve one another. And so you've got to know that slavery cannot exist if you are breathing the life giving air of the gospel. The gospel suffocates that self-centered arrogance that would drive you to put yourself over somebody in an abusive domination. Slavery could not survive under this gospel imperative. But neither can our judgmental or prideful attitudes. Whether it's at work, whether it's at church, or even whether it's at home. The gospel guts it from the inside out and it drives us to our knees before our master. So because Jesus changes who we serve, it all, he also changes how we serve. Jesus changes how we serve. Because I'm really serving at Christ, it kind of changes the way that I serve others. And that's when the world will notice that we serve differently, okay? Note this. We have a different attitude. They're going to see that. They're going to see a different attitude. Verse 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now that doesn't mean that you're like afraid and cowering. What, what he's really going for is uh, respect. How many times have you worked with somebody who all they do is grumble and complain against the leader? And sure, they they do what they're told, but they're making sure that you and everybody else knows that they're not happy with it and they don't like the guy that they're having to serve under. Hey, 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 let that never be said of us. That's not the attitude of Christ. As believers now, we're going to serve with a respectful attitude, he says, with a sincere heart. Meaning, we're not faking it, okay? We have some pure motivation and a determination to serve as you would Christ. That's why we're going to have a different attitude. is because we know who we're serving. It makes me think of when I was making frappuccinos and lattes at Starbucks. And technically, I was serving our customers when I was making them coffee. And can I just tell you, there were some customers who made it so hard to have a respectful 
attitude. You know what I'm saying? We get one of those people that would come up and, and, and they'd be like, excuse me, excuse me, can, can I have a coffee with two splendors? And, and actually, can you just make that a latte? And, and, and can you stir it up before? Actually, and, and the last time they made it, it was a little bit cold. And I don't, I don't want it cold, but I don't want it too hot either. Can you just make it about like 177 degrees? About like the, actually, I don't really like the way you're making the foam. Do you want to just pour it out and start over? Everything in me just wanted to scream, I'm not here for you. Do you think that my sole existence is to be a barista, to serve you and to make you happy? Now, that's what I wanted to say because in my flesh, when I'm there for me and the paycheck, I'm not here for you. But, but what if I was? What if I was serving as I would Christ? Jesus is saying, do it as if you were doing it for me. And I, I think about, like, if somebody really important, somebody famous, somebody I looked up to my entire life, if they would have come in uh, the bar, man, I would have bent over backwards to make the coffee however they want. It's okay. You want, like, 18 Splendas? That's cool, man. Like, I'll do whatever you want. I want to make them happy. But, and Jesus is saying, like, okay, okay, when you serve that person, no matter who it is, no matter how you feel about them, you know that you're doing it for me. You are serving me. Now, how does that change your attitude about your boss, your manager. How does that change the way that you serve your clients? How does that change the way you help out on setup team for church at 7.30 in the morning on Sunday? How does it help change how you bounce babies back in the nursery while they're screaming their heads off? and Everybody else gets to sit in there and listen. We serve differently, okay? Verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. So that, that eye service, people pleasers, that's just the attitude of like, I'll do uh, my best when the boss is watching or as long as I'll get the reward. Uh, when I was in high school, I worked at a four-aisle grocery store. Yes, it was a really small town. We only had four aisles in our grocery store. Only two of the aisles had a camera, which was linked to a screen in the store owner's office. I'm just going to let you guess which two aisles I made sure that I was really working hard in. You know what I'm saying? Okay, do they have to check up on you at work? Do they have to watch you? Are you just putting in the bare minimum? How quickly have you gotten it? turning off Facebook and putting your phone back in your pocket and making it look like you've just been working really hard. Like, have you gotten really good at that? Are you stealing time from the company and covering it up and trying to make it look like you're really working hard? Are you only interested in serving if you know that you're going to be noticed, that you're going to get reward? I realize we're going to have a run on, on like, Harvest Kids workers this week because you're like, man, I didn't know that we could have been running for a Chick-fil-A gift card. I mean, like, that, that changes the ballgame. I would have signed up long ago. No, no, our, is that why we're doing it? What, what's our motive? What's, what's our attitude here? Doing the will of God from the heart. That means I'm all in. We, we would say, uh, put your heart into it. Not, not begrudging, not bemoaning like, oh, I hate doing this. But no, like passionate, rendering service with a good will. This is with enthusiasm, not just because I have to, but because I want to. 
How's your, how's your attitude? Are people smelling Christ when they're near you? Or does your attitude stink and it puts them off? Like, man, I don't want to be around that kind of guy. Like, wh- how, how is our attitude here? The world is going to sit up and take notice when we serve with different attitudes, even and, and especially when that service doesn't seem to really give us a leg up or an advantage or a promotion. That's when they notice that we're serving differently. Because we're not doing it for that. We're doing it because we have a different audience. We have a different audience. Verse 7. We're rendering the service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. As to the Lord. So uh, we've already said this, but I, I just want to drive this home. Um, those of you who are serving, those of you who are, and, and, and we're all serving in some capacity, okay? Are you doing it for Christ? There's a Latin phrase, Coram Deo. Coram, C-O-R-A-M, Deo, D-E-O. It literally means in the presence of God. We're living our lives in the presence of God, whether we realize it or not. But living under Coram Deo is the recognition that God knows everything. He sees it all. There's not an aisle with no camera. There's no, no matter where I am, even if no one else is watching or no one else is even going to notice what I'm doing, God sees. That everything I do is done in the presence of God. To be done under the authority of God as my master. And to be done for the glory of God as my greatest desire. You want that? Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. You, do you know, do you know, God is a good master. He's a good master. So, can we so humble ourselves and serve in such a way that we could look forward with great anticipation to the day when we will be rewarded when we finally hear our master say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. As the band comes, I just want to ask you, you've got the question there in your bulletin, what's, how's the Lord pressing on your heart? What's, what's he moving in your heart to respond to these things? Who have you been serving lately? Are you serving the Lord? Is it so evident in your attitude? Are you serving differently? Are you pointing people to Christ? We have an opportunity to make much of Jesus by the way that we engage in service. Let's make sure that we give Him all the glory. We're serving in the presence of God whether we realize it or not, but He deserves it. Father, we pray that You would move in our hearts so that we would serve like this. We want to serve differently. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Not begrudgingly, not with bad attitudes, not as though we're better than anyone else. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that we have Jesus. Do you accept us? Not based on what we've done, but because of who you are.
We just recognize that you are a great Savior and a good Master. And we look forward to that day when we might hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We do this for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.